We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. And today, special guest Ken McCusick at Film Study Ravens. For those of you who want to check him out on Twitter, he does excellent all 22 analytics and film work on the Ravens. So we said, you know what? Why not bring him in? The Giants just hired Ravens former defensive coordinator Wink Martindale. We're all very excited about what kind of defense he might bring some of the scheme he might come over with and his overall system. So without further ado, Ken, how's it going today? And let the fans know where they can find all your work. Well, thanks, Dan. Uh, filmstudybaltimore.com has, has all my work. And in fact, for Giants fans, I think who want to look at a lot of the Martindale stuff. The weekly defensive articles are a good place to start. If you go back there, they have a breakdown of the packages the Ravens used, the pass rush that Martindale employed, and that sort of thing. It's very much done from a defensive coordinator's perspective, and that it talks a lot about the players and and their individual accomplishments. But a lot of it's, it, you know, you'll be satisfied with your Martindale uh, fix out of that. I'm excited about Wink Martindale. I dove into a few of his games, but I was a little curious as to why he was let go from the Baltimore Ravens because, I mean, this guy finished what? first, third, and second in points per game before 2021, and he finished sixth, third, and first in yards per game before 2021. And we know about the injury to Marcus Peters, the injuries to Marlon Humphrey and Jimmy Smith. The cornerbacks were decimated for the Ravens, and they were picking guys up off the street towards the end of the year. Joe Burrow's throwing 500 yards against them. It just doesn't look great. And then he gets fired. And I'm just curious as to why did that happen? Was there a chasm between Harbaugh and Martindale? I, I can speculate a little bit, but I tell you what, the Ravens are outstanding at keeping their own beefs in-house. So one of the things that, that the Ravens do is they don't hire people who, who have loose lips and they fire them if they do. 
So usually Harbaugh in particular, extremely tight with information uh, going anywhere outside the castle. EDC feels the same way about the draft. And, uh, you know, you have injuries are, the, are one of the top things. Nobody should be talking about injuries. Nobody should be talking about personal problems of players outside the thing. So anyway, the Martindale situation, it's, it's, it's kind of a closed book to us in a lot of ways. But I have some speculation. He was in the last year of his contract for 2022. And so I think it was maybe actually a mutual situation where the Ravens did not really feel comfortable extending him at this time, but Martindale wanted a new contract that was a multi-year deal. And I said, well, maybe an, maybe an alternative is here. We just part ways at this point. You guys start with a, a year earlier on your new defensive coordinator you want, if in fact you want a new defensive coordinator, and I can go and, and work for another team. And Martindale is a you know he's a storied defensive coordinator. It's possible there are there is not eye to eye seeing in terms of uh, you know how Harbaugh and he feel about things, but he's at one of the top three defensive coordinators in Ravens history, and that group is unbelievably classy at the top. I mean, if you look at who it's been, Marvin Lewis in the two thousand defense and Rex Ryan and 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 the work he did, uh, Rex Ryan just some amazing things that that Martindale has some very Strong similarities, too, by the way. And then they had Pagano, who moved right into head coaching, and Nolan, who moved right into head coaching. I mean, they've every defensive coordinator they've had is, with one exception, has been very, very successful. So uh, to put Martindale right near the top of that group, I think, is is fair. And I think the Giants fans are really going to love it. A lot is made of Martindale's propensity to bring pressure, pin your ears back, and get after the quarterback. And we love to hear that. Patrick Graham was a little bit reserved in that way. But how exactly does he do this so effectively? And does he do it in a multitude of different ways? Yeah, multitude of ways. I was just going to say, it's not that simple. Okay, because most most blitzing now in terms of stats that you'll find in the NFL is, is related only to numbers. So if you see a blitz percentage for the Ravens, you'll see like 35%, 36%, that kind of thing. That's saying the number of times that they rushed five plus, but that that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because more important than the numbers is typically the deception that goes along with that pass rush. And so Martindale, uh, I could you know have numbers available if you want to hear by by pass rush number. We we can talk about that. But where where, you, where it really shines is when some form of deception is used. The three forms of deception that I'm used to counting, and you can come up with others as well, are stunts, off ball blitzes, because off ball blitzes are a lot different than somebody stepping right into the a gap and then showing you that pressure and then coming with it. And then the third one is uh, simulated pressure, where they drop two or more from the line of scrimmage. So I, I tend to add up those. I keep the stats on deceptive pressure um, where they have two or more elements going on the same play. And Martindale, it, it, what's what's amazing about it is not just the success with various forms of deception. It's how, how well he adapts to each opponent in terms of applying. Patrick Mahomes, he'll, he he really gets away from off-ball blitzes and he'll just, he'll just rush a basic four very often. With quarterbacks like Ben Roethlisberger, he'll hold balk on things like stunts that take longer to develop because Roethlisberger gets the ball out of his hands so quickly that doesn't really help you. So, you know, it's 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 different pressure types and different deception types by quarterback is, I think, one of the things that you're really going to enjoy about what he brings to a defensive game plan. I saw a lot of simulated pressure, a lot of those mm -hmm. two guys dropping off and then a defensive back coming from off the ball. There were several plays that come to my mind against the Los Angeles Chargers, against the Indianapolis mm -hmm. Colts this year, where there were just free rushers coming right at the quarterback. Sometimes they weren't even picked up. I mean, how many times does Martindale's scheme 
a two versus one or a three versus four. Yeah, that, that's that's a great point. Is I think modern NFL defenses really because the ball comes out so quickly because quarterback accuracy is so high in today's games. It, what's critical to get is quick pressure. So you know, PFF for example uses a two and a half second standard. I usually actually use three for offensive line scoring, and in part it's just I want to be different. So it's something that you, you, it, it adds texture to a debate that's already out there. I trust PFF to count it correctly for two and a half seconds. But but I, I use three anyway. The point I'm making is that I think most defensive coordinators are trying to generate that quick pressure on a third and four, third and five play that helps you get off the field. And you have to scheme to get that usually. You have to scheme for a free runner as opposed to getting a one-on-one win. If you have Aaron Donald, yeah, he can get you a one-on-one win in that situation. If you don't have Aaron Donald, and that's 31 NFL teams, or you don't have TJ Watt, it's still 30, um, you know, you, you really are down to, to trying to uh, generate that schematically somehow. And that's where Martindale really excels. You can get a free run or a, a very frequently, whether it's off the slot from safety, uh, inside linebacker, or one of his own guys doing something deceptive to, to switch gaps or whatever it might be. Speaking of getting free rushers with, with Wink Martindale, I'm curious about with Patrick Graham, the, the Giants former uh, defensive coordinator, there was, there wasn't many like amoeba looks like there weren't many examples of a lot of guys at the line of scrimmage, some drop into coverage, some are blitzing. And it's kind of hard for opposing offenses and quarterbacks, depending on where they're at in their progression uh, from a mental standpoint to figure it out. Is that something you saw at all with Wink? And is that something he likes to do? Oh yeah, he definitely likes to crowd the line of scrimmage and and runs lots of of two and three man drops. Uh, we've seen as many as four drop from the line of scrimmage at a time. So you'll see you'll see some very variation that would go out to to that extent. Shows eight at the line of scrimmage if you've got a three wide receiver look. Uh, you're showing uh, not terribly uncommonly. Uh, so you'll see this cover zero kind of look. And that usually does not mean all eight are coming, but that confuses the hell out of the blockers that are at the line of scrimmage. It often creates a situation where you have drops from the middle will uh, create unblocked players on the outside and wasted blockers on the inside. So if, if you think about it normally, let's just let's take a, a typical cover zero situation where you have five wide. OK, and all five of those guys need to be covered man up, say, six or seven yards off the ball. That would be a typical kind of look you would have for that kind of pressure. And and then the other six defenders are up against five offensive linemen. So the five offensive linemen have to figure out who blocks who. Well, first of all, you have one more than you can block. And secondarily, if you have drops from the middle, you can create a situation where you have wasted blockers in the middle and they, they come up with additional cover guys dropping from the line of scrimmage to handle short zones. And that we actually saw that work against the Ravens this year in a Miami game where, where the, the, the Dolphins had Adam Butler their nose tackle dropped to zone 18 times from cover zero looks in one game. Eight, nose tackle dropping 18 <laughs> times to cover in a single game. So they had 40 cover zero looks in that game. Uh, so <laughs> that, uh, uh, that really gave Jackson some trouble. We've seen that from Martindale too, in terms of, of, of being very aggressive about showing and, and really bringing eight man pressure a lot of time and trusting his back end, which the Ravens are really kind of built back to front. So they're more uh, one they have, their personnel available, of course, when Humphrey and Peters and and Tavon Young, when he's playing well, are, are, are all available. Then they're they're very much built back to front in terms of being able to uh, hold up to man coverage. Speaking of the build back to front, and I did want to say first that just picturing in my head Dexter Lawrence at 345 pounds dropping yeah. into coverage, <laughs> cover zero look is just funny yeah. to me. But I did want to ask you about that build back to front because the Giants have undergone a similar build even with the pass regime 
And that was building back to front with a lot of corners and a lot of secondary uh, before the edges. And I believe based on everything I know, it's going to continue that way. And that's going to be a similar build moving forward with Wink Martindale. So I have a question that is kind of tied to that. You know, his defense obviously wasn't as potent as it has been in the past this past season with all those injuries in the secondary. How much of the drop off would you kind of pin to the injuries in the secondary? And, and, and as a, you know, follow up to that, as far as build goes, what the Giants can expect moving forward from a roster build standpoint. Do you think that for Wink Martindale uh, defense, it's more important to have those secondary guys, those guys who can hold up in coverage versus kind of the big dogs at the edge? Okay, very complex question. I've got a very complex answer for you, so this will take me a while. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, we'll start with the fact that Martindale loves two positions in particular and really hates one. He, he really uh, he, he will be a guy who will find the correct safety, I believe, to give the green dot to on this on your team. He, he really does not want an inside linebacker. And the reason he doesn't want an inside linebacker is that allows him to bring in multiple safeties to replace their inside linebackers on obvious passing downs. And that was important in Baltimore because we didn't have, we, we still don't have uh, inside linebackers who can cover at all. And, and it, you know, it's important to get those guys off the field. LJ Fort was the one guy these last few years who, who understood a little bit about what was going on behind him and could really manipulate lanes in some way when, when, when covering a short zone. So there's a lot of value in having the green dot on a safety because the green dot player, as you know, has to be on the field every single play. If you don't have the green dot and inside linebacker, you can replace that guy with a safety on a down-by-down basis. It allows you to play dime packages, usually heavy dime, uh, on a lot of third downs, and then quarter packages when you really want to, uh, to bring in two safeties to replace both inside linebackers. So uh, the Ravens' draft history is very much intertwined with the Giants as far as I'm concerned. Not, not everybody's going to feel this way, but the 2020 draft in particular – the Ravens drafted Patrick Queen at number 28, and it was a pick I really did not like. The guy I wanted was the guy that went to the Giants at 36, Xavier McKinney. And you've got a good one back there. And, and you know, he came into his own in the second year. And, and I think that Martindale will get the most out of him, whether that's as a center fielder, possibly moving up to the line of scrimmage some. But I think it's actually a waste of his talents to do that. Um, and I did want to hear from you guys what you think about McKinney as an off-receiver player, meaning is he a guy – not when he's forced into single coverage in his zone, but when he's when he's uh, able to cover the top with a bracket. Is he a guy who leaves space to catch to, to to make a play on a deflection or make a play on an overthrow, or is he a guy who comes at the body of the receiver like a guided missile and tries to dislodge that football and break up the play? Because I actually think the former is more valuable. I've actually seen him do both, to be honest. There are times where I felt like Xavier McKinney was baiting, knowing that the quarterback, usually it was a raw quarterback like Washington's Taylor mm -hmm. Heineke, trying to bait that individual. And then once the throw happened, he has the type of short area quickness and range to cover space and get there to disrupt, dislodge the football and try to come away with an interception. So I honestly think he has done on film both of those things. And I think he's very coachable in terms of what the next defensive coordinator is going to want to do. I think Jerome Henderson, a defensive backs coach who was retained from Joe Judge's staff, is also a really, really bright coaching mind that's going to kind of mesh really well with what Wink Martindale wants to do. But you feel like kind of giving a little bit more space is better? I do. I mean, we're used to Ed Reed in Baltimore, but Ed Reed, definitely a guy who played for the overthrow, played for the tip ball, didn't necessarily go to hit the receiver. He could undercut too. I mean, he could, he, he could do all those things, but playing for the overthrow is is usually 
a good passive way to get interceptions with, without generally compromising your defense too much. So I, I've always found that I like that in my free safety. Now, most strong safeties and most of the guys who they call versatile safeties, and I'm using air quotes when I say that, are guys who don't really have those kind of ball skills necessary to rely on. Uh, so anyway, I'll, I'll be interested to see how McKinney develops, but I, I would not be surprised if he's the guy with the green dot uh, come this next year in New York. I honestly think he will be, to be honest. He, Like you already said, he really came on strong in the second season. In his first season, he was hurt the majority of the year. He didn't come back until the latter half of that year. And when you just see his ability to process everything in front of him, to break on the football, his click and close downhill, his ability to run support, we had Solomon Wilcox on the podcast yesterday, and he said that he thinks he's going to be an all-pro safety. That's somebody who used to play mm-hmm. safety in the NFL. And I 100% agree with him from everything that, that we've seen from Xavier McKinney. I think the sky is the limit for that individual. Yeah, and I'm also interested in diving into a few questions, if you don't mind, Ken, from our listeners that I thought were really interesting. And I'll start with a few assumptions that have been made about Wink Martindale. The first assumption that's been made about Wink Martindale, and I don't know where this came from, because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have d- dove in deep into or dip, dive deep into the film of the Ravens, but there's an assumption that he struggles with adjustments, struggles with halftime adjustments, things of that nature. Utter bullshit, right? <laughs> <laughs> because it's just, it's just, he is the most adaptable coach. Changes on the fly during a game, and and will come up with extreme packages for each individual week by week basis. I mean, you see him going from a four, two corner look against the, the, the Cardinals. He's used as many as five outside linebackers on the field at the same time when he really wants to get the pass rush going. I mean, he is the master of extreme packages and extreme pressure variation. So I just, his adaptability both in game and between game is just remarkable. And you're going to love that fact about him. That is definitely, I think a, a lazy way to analyze that. defense. <laughs> Joe Burrow tore him up for 500 yards. But, I mean, I watched that Kansas City game in week two. I felt like he was dropping eight in certain situations. He adjusted a little bit later after Travis Kelsey had that, what was it, like a 46-yard touchdown where the Ravens just forgot how to tackle, put a Dafe Owe over the top of him, checked him at the line Mm -hmm. of scrimmage, and then he did what the Bengals did in the AFC Championship game where he kind of shimmied right in front of Patrick Mahomes and played contain on Patrick Mahomes because we know – Mahomes likes to extemporize and get outside the pocket. Mm-hmm. Well, Owa was right there to hit him, which caused the interception. So you see a lot of these little adjustments like that that I that I saw just before I even talked to you on the Kansas City film. And I was like, okay, that's an adjustment right there that came away with the turnover. That wasn't a perfect game against Kansas City. They dropped, what, 35 points. He still got the win, and that was a huge play. And by the way, Owa punching that ball out from Clyde Edwards-Alaire, yep. I have no idea how he was able to do that. Yeah, it's it's remarkable to even see it. I've I you know I probably watched it fifty times myself in terms of him re- reaching around, but he's got some of the longest arms of a any outside linebacker in the NFL. Wink loves his outside linebackers, and when the Ravens had, uh, you know, the great season in two thousand nineteen when they went fourteen and two, uh, they had the lead a lot. They played the base defense ten point six percent of the time. They played a package that I call race car. Other people call it NASCAR, but NASCAR is often like a three outside linebacker look. This is a four outside linebacker look. They played four outside linebackers on 13.2% of snaps, more than they played base. So it's it's incredible to me. And it's basically all dime and quarter packages that those were either six or seven defensive backs. So really extreme packages for extreme circumstances when he's got the lead he'll do all kinds of weird things he had one game where he got five different defensive back sacks in the same game 
<laughs> and the, the previous NFL record was three. So yeah, that, that was, I think it was against Philadelphia, uh, but uh, two years Good. ago. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I also wanted to touch on one other thing about that Kansas City game because we mentioned stunts before, and I've seen him mm -hmm. employ stunts all throughout just as his tenure as the defensive coordinator from everything that I've seen. But against Kansas City, I didn't see that. And I'm thinking the reason why that happened was probably because he didn't want to have those individuals who were stunting to lose gap control to that's allow exactly it. Yeah, to yeah. allow Patrick Mahomes to fly. So even little adjustments like that, that's really smart. It's subtle. But when you watch the film and you see it and you're like, see, he doesn't want Patrick Mahomes to get out of the pocket and allow Tyreek Hill to break away and do Tyreek Hill type of things. And if I'm not mistaken, Tyreek Hill was really contained in that game. What do you have, like four catches? Yeah, he didn't he didn't have much in that game. And I don't have the yardage right in front of me here, but but you're exactly right. And 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 that's part of the 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 game planning by quarterback that changes by week. You, you'll see there's just tremendous variation in in how he sets up his pressure and how he how he uses packages to to match up against the opposing personnel. And that's very rare. Most NFL defensive coordinators are tied to their own set of packages by down distance and opponent and opposing personnel. But but Martindale will go outside of that and go with really extreme packages that you just don't see every week. And I, I would really point the Giants to some of the writing that I did this last year in the articles because I have all of that in there by game. And you'll get a sense of just how much variation there is that's specific to an opponent. Uh, if, if you go through that. But anyway, the, there's, a, there's a packages section in each defensive article. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I love to hear that, man. I mean, it just seems like a very fluid type of individual to lead the defense. But I want to—I don't want to poo-poo a Martindale whatsoever. But I heard just some Ravens people, some people on Twitter on the Bird app, talking about how. He didn't get the most out of certain young players like Patrick Queen, and I think Malik Harrison was another mm-hmm. one that I saw. Do you think that is a a legitimate criticism? Yeah, it's it's a legitimate criticism, and it might be something that was part of of a of a headbutting between him and Harbaugh. If you had to pick something, I think that might be it. Uh, Patrick Queen's been a big disappointment in Baltimore, and and they brought in Rob Ryan to coach him directly. I can say from my observations at camp. My just watching the two of them interact. Okay, let me set this up a little bit. There's about a 20 minute period at the beginning of every practice where the special teams units are on the field. Every Ravens inside linebacker plays special teams with one exception, Patrick Queen. Okay. And so he was over with Rob Ryan for each of those 20 minute sessions. Now, as they started out the first couple of days of camp, Rob Ryan was moving around, and it's kind of funny to see the guy waddle around and move a towel around and do this. Let's say this is the tight end and this. And, he's, and he's, he really tried like he was trying to get the most out of these sessions with Patrick Queen. As the as the couple of weeks, and you know, your time we have access to camp is not even that long for, for full practices. The, the it ended with Patrick Queen leaning on a tackling donut, which is by the way, if he if he could develop some love for the tackling donut maybe he'd actually learn how to tackle uh, it, it would be uh, uh it was just it was it, it it became almost a joke to, to to see what was their relationship the relationship it couldn't have been good for them for him to not be interacting with queen on on a daily basis during that time and they've they've already uh dumped uh ryan this offseason in terms of of uh, they're not bringing him back um but patrick queen is is at a crossroads of his career now entering year three as a first round pick He's playing for the Ravens to pick up his option for year five after this season, and I, I don't think they'll do it. I think I think he's probably going to be a four year four year and done Raven, and uh, it's really sad. It was a it was a, a big waste of a pick. A lot a guy's got a lot of talent, but but he's not tackling and he's not um, uh, shedding blocks well. Uh, he is, he's shown some uh, reluctance to make contact. I will call it during this last season that's very frustrating out of a linebacker, obviously, uh, does not have good recognition skills in terms of picking up his assignment out of the backfield or in a short zone. And he has no ability, like like literally zero, on anything that's going on behind him in the passing game. So literally in his entire career, he's basically never made a play on a ball that was headed behind him in the passing game. Nothing that would read the quarterback, get in a lane, do anything like that. Uh, just a very frustrating player. And, you know, he had he had a good 
mini stretch of games after he moved to Will Linebacker this year. But I think if, if you want to pick something, that would be it. Malik Harrison's uh, problems were a little bit different. They were they were self-inflicted, but inflicted by somebody else in a sense. He, he went to Cleveland during the season, which is you know not a great place to have this happen just because they're a divisional foe. But somebody, somebody uh, shot him in the leg, and, and apparently it didn't do a whole lot of damage, except that he didn't play any more deep. He played one more defensive snap after week seven. So he he was he was active for many of those games, but the um, uh, he was in the doghouse pretty clearly because the Ravens were making all kinds of changes in inside linebacker. They're getting Christian Welch, a special teams player, like two series per game to play, and Blake Harrison wasn't getting any time. They talked about playing him at outside linebacker, where they often had three in a game. They didn't ever get him in in there in the second half of the year. So I think if you look at the development of those two players, those were were. Uh, marks against Martindale. I really put it on Rob Ryan, who was the inside linebackers coach. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that that's a potential uh, source of animosity if you if you're looking for it. And one thing that might not be as much of a fair or as fair of a criticism, I should say, of Wink Martindale, but I've seen levied, and one of our listeners had a question about it, and he wanted to know to what extent is the defense under Wink a product of beating up on bad QB competition? He asks because. The elite quarterbacks tend to do really well against the blitz to the point where it's almost not impossible, but not like not a very high EV decision to blitz these quarterbacks. So what do you say to that type of criticism? I mean, the Ravens record versus everybody has been pretty good, but they've been pretty good, particularly in 2019. They were good against the good teams as well. So they, they shut down Russell Wilson very effectively at Seattle. That was one of their big early wins. Uh, they beat the 49ers, of course. Now you know, people might say, oh, that's not really a good quarterback. It's a good team in general. And, you know, they kept him in the game. They beat a lot of a lot of other good quarterbacks by just piling up points on the scoreboard before they had any real chances to to stay in the game. And then it becomes kind of an easy thing. So, you know, play middle of the road pack quarterbacks like Jared Goff and whatnot had very bad games against the Ravens. Uh, you know, the if, if you look at what the Ravens did in 2019 and 2020, they scored the most points in the NFL and, and they had the biggest point differential for those two years combined. It's, it's, it's hard to really find fault with what Martindale did. I, I, you know, yeah, they gave up some points to Kansas city. Are, are we really upset about that? You know, they, <laughs> they, they didn't win a game versus Kansas city in Kansas city from 18 to 20. Uh, is, is it fair to be upset about that? I, I don't know. Uh, Jackson's record versus everyone else was extremely good. This last year, things were much more difficult, and he was dealt a hand with a bunch of threes and fours in it. Um, you know, it's just not a not an easy hand to play, and that it, it, it created stress, no doubt. It may have created stress between Martindale Harbaugh in terms of usage on the margin when you when you're dealt such a lousy hand to begin with. The Ravens have typically had depth, used the full roster on defense of all 22 men. Uh, you know, it's usually 22, 22 and three. We're talking about, uh, you know, for, for an active roster, um, they're, they're, they really made good use of their depth defensively, but, uh, but they just didn't have it in this last year to, to make use of. So it was difficult. Let me just say one thing, Ken, before we go on as an avid poker player and someone who constantly makes poker references on this podcast that either one go over Nick's head or two, you know, get. Huh. Get beat up by our listeners who tell me I don't play poker. What do you mean by that? There you go. I gotta say I appreciate that poker reference. Well, Dan, we, could, we the, the the terms that keep coming up are redraw value, and, and, and that comes up all the time in terms of making late game game decisions where you get a chance to to come back and have one more draft. But there's, there's probably five other poker terms that uh, 
that I that come up for pretty regularly for me too. Feel free to use more because I love them. Yeah, I'm like Patrick Queen right now, man. I have no idea what's going <laughs> on because I, I don't know any of these references. But uh, Ken, I wanted to ask, Patrick Graham ran a lot of zone match type of principles. Mm -hmm. And I was watching through and I didn't study exactly what kind of match principles Wink Martindale was employing with his defense. But I saw several different times where it seemed like specifically against mesh concept, they were matching those routes. And then I also saw, I think against the Vikings, they were in a, a too high read type of defense. It might've been palms. I think it was palms where they, where the Vikings ran a scissors concept, which is a palms beater. And it was just great coverage by the Ravens on the back end where the safety just passed off the seven and then took that post went underneath. And then it was an incomplete pass. And that was in the red zone, I believe against Justin Jefferson. Is that something that we see a lot with Wink Martindale's defense, a lot of zone match or even man match type of principles? Um, it, it, there's a lot of man because they depend on the back end so heavily. Uh, so, the, so they're, they're not a zone defense because, you know, they don't face Lamar Jackson every week. The Ravens of course face a ton of zone. And so you, we see it more on the, on the defensive side of the opponent. Uh, but they, they're, they're more a man team and they're trying to, to create games and, and, and pressure on the inside. And where the Ravens got beat was at inside linebacker more than at safety or at corner. And so that's where the weakness is for, for the Ravens was the middle of the field. There's a big black hole of, of exploitability. So I wouldn't say it was really on the back end as much. Now they had a lot of tackling problems this last year. Uh, that, that really was, a, was a big part of it. And that's a, if you're looking for another, you know, area of, of potential conflict between Harbaugh and, and Martindale, it'd be that they didn't really get the tackling problems completely fixed even by year's end. And I, I think you can really blame a few players for it, but um, you know, the defensive coordinator has to take a share of that responsibility as well. But I, you know, to, to, in, in terms of particular coverage concepts, because the Ravens are, are mostly in single high, they don't play a lot of, of uh, cover two shell anymore. Uh, you know, I love that when they, when they played it more frequently in Baltimore, but uh, he's, he's more likely to have a safety up close to the line of scrimmage, trying to play some game in terms of, of uh, the pass rush or replacing an inside linebacker or doing whatever that might entail. Another player I wanted to ask you about before we get you out of here was Tyus Bowser. Yeah. Now, I felt like this this individual was a really good coverage outside linebacker that they would bring out there. And he's somebody that I remember when he was drafted and everything, but I didn't really you know, follow his career all that much. But diving into the film, I felt like he was a very underrated and undervalued individual in that defense. Do you think it's imperative for the Giants to find – an individual, an outside linebacker type who can really cover those tight ends, can drop into those curl flat areas and has that kind of spatial awareness that Tyus Bowser seemed to have. Yeah, so I guess I didn't talk about this earlier, but in, in terms of Wink loving outside linebackers, what he really loves to have is multiple Sams. And he, he wants to have those strong side linebackers who very naturally drop, but he likes to play them on both sides of the line of scrimmage because it gives you incredible pass rush flexibility to do that. So you can have a safety come. You can be coming with inside linebackers if your outside linebackers can cover. So with Matthew Judon and Tyus, Tyus Bowser, you had two of the best in the entire game in terms of coverage, and he'll, he certainly will love that. And I, I would think to the extent he has the ability to help direct the draft in certain ways, they'll look for players like that. And by the way, Sam linebackers, one of the hardest things to find in the draft. They're, they're incredibly hard to find, to scout, to all those things, because you, you almost have to work off their traits as opposed to working off their actual college production, which those guys are such great athletes. Players like Adafi Owe, he might be a good Sam linebacker. We don't know yet. 
because the guy's too raw and, and he's just he's a pure pass rusher and edge setter in college. And that's often the route is that they have so few coverage snaps. Um, these guys, it's very hard to identify. The last guy I can really remember that that was like a, a very clear Sam linebacker coming out of school was Zach Vaughn. And and other than that, I mean, we, we really haven't had that many that, that 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 people immediately say, oh yeah, that guy's a Sam right away. But Bowser was, and and he really turned into one of the best in the game. And and Judon was, and the Ravens, he was a he was a small school find by the Ravens. So hopefully the Giants will 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 figure it out in terms of of getting Martindale the the Sam they need. I think you're always better off getting that guy in the draft, obviously, than trying to pick him up because he'll be very expensive. Uh, it's it's like having a good quarterback. It's you know you either got him or you don't, and there, there just aren't that many out there. Thank you so much for taking your time today. This was excellent. Like this is the exact type of content. Not only do our listeners like I like, because I learn, I learn. I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I learn from Nick every time I do a podcast with him and I just learned a lot from you. Ken, you do great work. So I have not been privy to your work before this. That's on me. Nick has hooked me up with it earlier today. So I'm going to check it out myself and I hope all the listeners do as well. So Ken, why don't you tell the listeners one more time, where they can find your work and also where they can find you on Twitter. Well, on Twitter, I'm at film study Ravens and my work is filmstudybaltimore.com. And if you look there, you'll, you'll get your wink Martindale fix Phil. There's my dog going off. Sorry about that guys. Uh, Nick, we're going to love having you on. I hope for the, for the giants and Ravens game prior to that should be a great matchup between Greg Berman and, and, uh, and Don Martindale. The guy who, who a lot of people think should have been fired and the guy who was actually fired or, uh, you know, parted ways with so it'll be fun you know i'll be there man it was a lot of fun when i went on your show last year unfortunately it wasn't fun for the giants or daniel Jones. there you go <laughs>